ready to wake up, you're going to wake up. And if you're not ready, you're going to stay pretending that you're just a little, poor little me. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty. In the 17th chapter of St. Luke, it is written, the kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the power. The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. Everybody is I. You all know you are you. And wheresoever beings exist throughout all galaxies, it doesn't make any difference. You are all of them. And when they come into being, that's you coming into being. Yo, 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 people, how's it going? Hope you're all doing well. And welcome to the land of the dead to deal with this podcast conversation. Is this what death looks like? Are we already dead? Who bloody knows? But anyway, in this podcast today with Tree Carr, who if you remember, Tree was um, on the podcast a few months ago where we talked around the conversation of dreaming and how we can work with work with dreams in a reflective way to transform our lives. Today I wanted to talk about the other aspect of Tree's work, when she works with deaf, she is a deaf doula. If you don't know what a deaf doula is, it's basically somebody who works with people near the end of life from a spiritual and a psychological perspective. So today in this podcast, we're discussing everything deaf and we're going to be talking around talking about how we can, um, how by making deaf our friend, we can actually transform our lives. And as you know, death is called the great unknown. It's one of the greatest mysteries. And for thousands of years, us as humans, we've tried to define it, cheat it, and at times control it. And much like dreaming, I definitely feel that death is sort of a liminal and transformative space that we can work with to develop our lives. So in this podcast, anyway, we dive into how we can work with death, much like we do with dreams, in a conscious and reflective way and how this can sort of help us live more meaningful and more connective lives. So anyway, this is the first conversation from my time down in London last weekend. I'm going to start racking these things out now. Some some really cool conversations that I did down in London, and this was certainly one of them. And just before we dive in with this one, I just wanted to mention that if you can, if you can and you are in a position to support the podcast, the best way to do that is through the Patreon page. It really is a great way to um to help me keep doing this podcast and sort of keep the lights on sort of say and keep this going um you can you can donate anything from two dollars all the way up to whatever you want and it just really is a great way to keep this thing going basically guys it helps me from time to time to sort of put a bit petrol in my tank when i'm traveling around and it just is a great way so if you can't find it in your heart check out the patreon page and support through that also have a one-off donation option as well a few of you guys have been doing that which really means a lot and also just to add to that guys as well another couple of ways you can support the podcast and help me to keep doing allow me to keep doing what i'm doing um, I also have just, there's also uh, now a group called the Mind, Body and Spirit Academy. If you become a peer, if you if you sign up and support the podcast through Patreon, you also get access to this. Or alternative, alternatively, you can, you can join and sign up to the Mind, Body and Spirit Academy through the Ascend podcast website. So like I said, there's two options. If you become a Patreon member, you get access to that group. But you can also do it independently through the Ascend podcast website, which is better for me. Patreon doesn't take any uh, that doesn't that way doesn't sort of take any um take any of your guys donations from us through the website um obviously I get 100% of that so it helps the podcast even greatly but it's up to you guys if you want to support it through the Patreon you get access to that group but also there is a um a part on the on the Ascend podcast website where you can just sign you can sign up independently and just like Patreon works each month you will be sort of um each month the amount that you choose will be will be um will be sort of taken will be will be ta- will be taken off. So anyway, um, like I said, yeah, check that out. Really is a great way to support the podcast. Also now doing some one-on-one coaching now as well. If you guys, if any of you guys out there want some extra sort of coaching on any topic, anything from health to spirituality to consciousness, whatever it is. 
there's on my on the on the Send podcast website. There's now a sign up form, and we'll see if you if see if you see if we are a fit to work together. So anyway, I love you all, guys, and I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. Peace out. So let's do this. So um, <laughs> the conversation of death, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. the biggest mystery of life. It's funny because obviously the conversation of death, I know last time when we spoke about on the podcast, we talked about dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we the plan in that podcast was to talk dive into death. But I definitely think that death requires a, the conversation around death definitely requires a full podcast within itself. <laughs> um, but in general, the conversation of death, and the reason why I went doom, doom, doom is because it is very taboo in society. A lot of people are, are very scared to, to sort of go there. Why, why, do you feel, why do you feel that? Why are we scared to go there with death? Oh. Even though we all do it, it's still taboo. Yeah, I think it's probably partly to do with the fact that our society, the way we're, our construct is here in the West, is that death is swept under the carpet. So you see countless examples of this. We live in a society and a culture that really promotes youth and is really mm. obsessed with youth and like living forever and everything mm. is just quite centered around that. And um, it would seem as though we've lost connection with the, the reality, the natural reality of um, biological death, mm. that we age, we get old, we die. And it's coming for us all. <laughs> yeah, whether you like it or not. It's funny because you mentioned there about how um, like advertisements and stuff, like face cream and things like that. Of you know how it's in our faces to saying about like you you need you need this cream to live forever and stuff. It's funny because not live forever, but to to look vita- look have full vitality for the rest of your life, sort of say. Like you need, like you said, you need to look, look um, this age and things like that. It's funny because that psychology actually plays from death. Just when you were saying it, I was I was going through the psychology in my head of how advertisements. I mean, society in general doesn't want to talk about it, but however, the psychology behind the society is playing on it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we live in a fear-based culture, really. If you think about it, mm-hmm. a lot of the underlying pinning threads behind a lot of things is fear, mm-hmm. and you see it a lot in the media. You see it in the news. It's always bad news. It's always fearful news. You never hear news of. Sometimes they throw in a good thing there, yeah. <laughs> where there's like a a, a hero or there's um, a, a sweet moment with a kitten or something. But for the most part, we're driven through fear, and we all have innate fear of death. Mm-hmm. So all of these like almost subliminal. Um, messages through our culture of of fear really taps into Mm -hmm. the fear of death as well um also it's it's big business fear is big business you know you have a captive audience if you can instill fear in the hearts of your uh fellow human Mm -hmm. being um they will be at your beck and call for anything be it um it's time to go to war or you need to buy these products in order to um, feel less fearful, Mm -hmm. you name it. So it seems to be as though we're we're afraid. We're we're all very fearful of death and dying um, here in the West. And I often see it in people's eyes when I'm asked, um, you know, at a social gathering, what do you do? And um, (laughs) I'm like, which one should I, (laughs) which one should I tell them first? I look, right. at, I look should, at dreams or, or, yeah. or looking at death. I'm going to talk about, maybe I'll just leave, I'll, I'll do the death doula thing at the end. <laughs> so I usually tell them last and then watch their face. I, I always love to watch the faces of people when they say I, I'm a death doula. Well, first they hear the word death. You know. uh, so the faces, uh, you change to surprise or completely turn white or I can see a bit of fear. I've had people's eyes well up with tears and, and get, get very emotional. So even the word death, just saying the word death really does something emotive to people. Mm-hmm. And it, you, it certainly gets a reaction. So I can be at a social gathering and having a, 
uh, you know, a, a young man like chatting me up and, and then it gets to the point of what do you do? And I say, I'm a death doula. And they're just like, and I'm like, it's, it's the, the greatest cock block in the world yeah. really. It's just to tell people you work in the realms of death and uh, all of a sudden <laughs> it throws a wet towel and everything. I, love that I don't mind that though. Yeah, I love that because it's funny because, <laughs> you know, in society in general, when, you know, the general conversation when you meet someone for the first time and they always say, what do you do? Well, that's always the first common question. What do you do? No one ever asks you if you're happy, but everyone always I says know. to you, what do you do? Yeah. But you know, them conversations are normally always the, the small talk conversations. So if you were in a sort of a, like the elevator pitch or something where you were in an elevator with somebody and someone said to you, what do you do? And you just went, just said the word death. People would be like, oh, no, 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 no. So it's like <laughs> the sort of the first, it's a it's a great tool to get out with them them conversations that no one likes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, 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 and have someone just go, oh, great to meet you, bye and you're like oh okay yeah. cool i don't have to talk to that person anymore Definitely. when you said before about uh, the i kind of pronounce the word a deaf doula doula, a doula, doula yeah. yeah what what is could you describe what that is because i think it's fascinating yeah so the so we know what death is we just talked about it yeah. <laughs> hopefully it's the biological end of things we could be dead now <laughs> <laughs> yeah you never know this is what death is <laughs> <laughs> so that's what so death we know what death is and a doula it's from the it's a greek word and it, re, it, it means woman who serves um and i'm not really into gender specifics but it, it is what it is and that's the name that a lot of the death positivity movement has has embraced mm-hmm. to describe this role um, other words have been described for this role as death midwife um, and end-of-life guide, end-of-life companion. So effectively, a doula can be there at birth. So a doula helps the mother and the baby mm. through the process, the birthing process. A death doula does very much the same at end-of-life. So you're there as as a companion, as a, as, as a, as a uh, server that's there for the dying person and for the family through the dying process. And this can come in many different ways. It could be in um, psychological support, emotional support. Sometimes it can be spiritual support, depending on where the person's at and, and what they're navigating in their journey. And practical support, too. So helping with little, like helping arrange funerals, talking about um, wills and death certificates, mm-hmm. you name it. So it can fall under the umbrella of a lot of variety of, of, of things in care. And as a doula, you can be there through, through the various um, parts of death and dying. So you could be there at the beginning just to give some advice, or you could be there at the end when someone is dying and transitioning and you're vigiling. So it's um, multifaceted, but yeah. that's, that's basically what a death doula does. Um, holding space for the for the dying and for their family to create an atmosphere of uh, support um, and care and compassion and love um, to be the calm still um, person in the storm that can that, that can hold everyone in, in a way where you know where people feel that they're weak or they're bereaved and they're finding it very difficult so it's um an interesting line of work because you see many sides of the uh, of human behavior as well yeah, in, in at end of life i want to get into some of them as well a bit later on but you said something um very interesting is is um when you spoke about how i don't know how how true this is but you said about how more females are in the on in the area of this work is that is that definitely the case is more females in the area of this um doing death Deaf, being a deaf doula yeah in my experience it's been mostly women who are drawn to this line of work but i have met men who have who've done this work as well but i, I would say predominantly it seems as though women are more drawn to this work i was just quick i was just questioning when you said that because i never thought about that um it's just interesting on a sort of like a so through my journey with um sort of psychedelics and um other sort of experiences of alternative consciousness that i've had through the process of psychedelics, mm. which is a death, you are encountered by the mother, which is a female entity, a female um, female entity, basically. So it's just interesting how that even in the physical, um, females in general, women, are actually drawn to this line of work. There's some, there is, I'm asking quite asking the question, is there a deeper impulse behind that? I wonder what that is. I mean, you, you have a long history of women being engaged in this sort of work. 
being there at the beginning of life, helping the children come into the world, helping the mother, and at end of life, it just seems to be like a really ancient role mm-hmm. that women find themselves in. Um, is that an innate quality? I'm not quite sure. Um, it's one of, of, of mystery. And certainly I've seen men who have done the death doula role and, uh, you know, they're just obviously just as effective. I, I don't know what that is. Mm. I don't know why um, that is. I, I'm sure there could be some theories out there as to why women feel drawn to this sort of work. Is it a nurturing aspect that we have? Different energies as well. Is it, is it that? Is it... Um, um, I have no idea. It's 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 one that that holds it's, quite. It's clear to see though that the, the feminine energy is a lot more nurturing for sure. You know? Yeah, it's interesting because I've never felt called to have children, so I've never been a mother. I've never felt like a maternal. Mm. You know, I've never felt drawn or called to have children. But that, yet that I energy's find probably that come out in other forms for you. So though. maybe it's come out in the forms of of helping people uh, end of life or through the other work I do. So why, why did you decide to, to do this work then for? Yeah, so it's a, it was a long road of synchronicities that draw me into yeah. this line of work. Yeah, it's uh, how does one choose to, to fall into this role? So I think it probably started when I was a child. I felt very, um, felt very comfortable around the concept of death. The first death I experienced was my grandfather when I was five. And he was quite young. He, he was quite young to die. Most people lose their grandparents when they're in their... Uh, when they're adults so he was quite young uh, when he died and when my mom told me about his death I felt very calm and I felt like I, I got it it's hard to explain but it just felt like yeah I know and my mom it seemed as though my mother was trying to like skirt around the big heavy topic of death but I was like yeah yeah I know. yeah I'm good I'm good um, I felt very comfortable around, uh, at the wake, I held my grandfather's hand, felt very comfortable around death and the whole concept mm. of a corpse. It didn't really freak me out, felt very natural. Then things started happening when I was a teenager. I, I was very intrigued by death, um, uh, just the mysteries of it. So whenever there was a funeral in, <laughs> in my family or friends of the family, I always said, can I go to the funeral? And I was like the first to like want to go to the funeral. And this isn't because of any morbid, like gothic um, (laughs) subculture, you know, um, teenage um, attraction. It was literally that I, I felt like I wanted to be in the presence of those that were bereaved. I wanted to be in the presence of the ritual of death. I just wanted to know what it was all about Mm. um, because it was something that was so hushed and taboo. Um, So I found myself always with my mother at various funerals and feeling very intrigued and and comfortable. And I, I always felt like a sense of calm whenever I was in the group of people that were bereaved and grieving. Um, and then things started to happen synchronistically at like the age of 17. And from that age up until um, I'm 47, how old am I now? 47 now up until the age of 40. So from 17 to 40, I was having series of synchronistic events throughout my um, years where I happened to be at the right place at the right time when there was an accident. And a lot of the times it would happen right in front of me where I was the first to um, help someone who was close to death or dying in severe accidents. So it's like anything from I saw a person gets run over by a bus, trapped under a bus, first one there, you know, a good thing I mm. went to Girl Scouts because I know CPR. Yeah. <laughs> I, know, I know all the, but I never felt drawn to be become a paramedic. It felt like I just like time stopped. I was able to energetically like calm the person and be with them while energy uh, or while the um, emergency services arrived. Um, so I had a series of like countless events of this sort of thing happening. Some of them were just so like what the timing was insane. Like I had one experience where I was walking down Carnaby Street in crowded Carnaby Street here in London. Mm-hmm. And this was probably about 15 years ago. And as I was walking down the street, a man uh, just stopped dead in his tracks in mm. front of me and just started to like fall back. He fell back into me and I just like, <laughs> I just wow. was there to catch him. And as I, as I caught him and he was coming down to the ground, 
I noticed that I noticed that he had a, a syringe in his um, in his arm, so he had just shot heroin, and he was literally ODing in my arms. And I just thought, what are the chances mm. um, uh, of that happening? We were able to get the paramedics there, and they saved his life. But I mean, this kind of thing—I know it sounds crazy—was happening quite a bit. Uh, people falling at my feet. Um, a motorcycle accidents happening right in front of me where I was the first one there. Uh, I being in different countries all around the world, this is happening. I was in one like um, Roman Catholic church in Mexico City, walking in there with some friends just to look at the beautiful church. There was a man praying at the back of the church in an open back pew. I walked behind him. He collapsed right at my feet, started Amazing. having a seizure. Um, me and the priest were there. It was just like... <laughs> <laughs> and the best, all the best two people on the, the planet for me and a priest yeah so all, the, and all my friends for years are just like every time we go out with you people collapse like you you know you must be some sort of witch and there's you're causing this and i'm like i'm not causing this seriously like and i started getting a little bit of a complex from it because it was uncanny literally like about four or five times a year um but the last time that it happened that made me kind of think, wait a minute, there's, there's got to be more to the synchronicities of this constantly happening. And it was when I was 40, and it was uh, here in London, and I was walking down another, uh, a market street, uh, Columbia Road Market, um, sorry, Broadway Market in East London. And walking down the street, I saw a, quite a heavy set, bigger gentleman, and he looked like he was struggling a little bit, and he kind of like fell over and leaned against the wall of the building so i went up to him and said oh can i help you come sit down on uh, and and have a rest and uh when i did this uh, he just literally collapsed he was really big too so it was like good thing there was a few of us there but he went down really quickly and his face was turning uh, purple very quickly and um he was under cardiac arrest and we tried frantically to save him and um with uh, blowing into his mouth and either he was right in front of a GP so they got a liberator and everything we were really struggling to try to before the ambulance mm -hmm. arrived to, to save or help him and everyone was taking turns on him and his head was literally in my lap and I was holding his hand and I was holding his head as somebody was giving him breath and in between breaths I was just saying you're not alone it's going to be okay just giving him peaceful and comforting words and his eyes were fixed wide open he was still breathing and he was kind of having his last breaths mm -hmm. and there was literally streams of tears just streaming down his face it was as though he was like he could see something really left an impression on me because it was look he was like looking beyond everything and it was like he saw something and this streams of tears and his last breath we we heard it and it was gone um the ambulance arrived and really went to work on him but it was too late and they were shocking him and really trying to bring him back the thing is his family had was walking ahead his wife his daughter 13 year old daughter and his mother were walking ahead in the market but they didn't realize that he had fallen behind and literally in the time that they finally realized, like, where's dad? He had died on the pavement. And they had, we didn't, we thought he was alone. And they had come running back and had seen the scene. And they were just, you know, screaming. Mm -hmm. And at this time, the, you know, the ambulance had arrived. And I basically held his family and had stayed with them all afternoon. And it, I just, something came over me where I had immense calm that I was able to hold space and and work under such duress and stress and people freaking out and after i went away from that experience um i really contemplated like what like really why does this keep this is really weird now now i've had you know someone's like literally died in my arms and and i you know i, I do dream work so i basically asked my dream that night and my dreams that night yeah, so why does this keep happening? I'm getting a complex here. <laughs> I'm really getting a complex. I feel as though, you know, this is a bit freaky now. 
and I went to sleep and as I was waking up, I was, I got a really quick succession of, of dreams and experiences of all the various times I've helped strangers on the streets who've fallen over, gotten accidents and, and been there. And, and I woke up with a eureka moment, which was a little bit like being slapped in the face by the universe. That was just like, duh, this keeps happening because this, this is what you're meant to be doing. You're, you're in these situations. This is a you know, a bit of a wake up call. So I got up out of bed and I thought, there must, is there, I said to my partner, is there a name for people who are there at the at death and they help people like emotionally, not like a paramedic. You know, I kept <laughs> saying, not like a paramedic. <laughs> and it's not like a, like a, you, you know, um, a nurse or anything like that. Yeah. And he said, I don't know, maybe you should Google it. So good old Google, it's like such, the, it's such a great tool, isn't it? So I just, typed in a variety crazy. of words yeah <laughs> am i crazy people keep dying at my feet <laughs> um and i i typed in like emotional support at i wonder how many and... searches are actually on that on, on google <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i wonder if anyone actually goes on google now and types that in <laughs> one you <laughs> yeah yeah oh god the Google helped a lot. Yeah, so I was able to see the death, a death doula page came up. And I was like, what's that? And I went to this, um, it basically was a course that's being run in the UK uh, for death doulas, end of life uh, companionship and uh, guides. And I read through the website and I was like, this is it. Yeah, this is what, this is it. Yeah. So I signed up straight away and took the course and never looked back. It's beautiful, that. and there's three things I want to say on that. The first one is is that you need to stay off the streets. <laughs> oh stop, God. stop making people die. <laughs> I know. I my, my husband because I kept saying to my partner like, why why does this keep happening? He's like, I don't know. Maybe it's your cologne. It's <laughs> <laughs> knocking people it's out. Perfume. I'm like, oh, it's my perfume. I'm like, good, there good is one. some people's perfume who could definitely oh, do definitely, that. Definitely, I've been there's there. There's some girls that I've met that could I've definitely been there. do that, like <laughs> <laughs> especially in the northeast of England. <laughs> <I> totally. <laughs> but anyway, what I was going to say, you made a, a point before. Um, about why you were drawn to death. It's interesting because I had a thought in my head about how in society there would have been a period on in obviously human evolution where we would have would have, we would have been um, involved in death a lot more. I mean, even the process process now of we we're in obviously we're in London now, which is a, a, a very modern day world. But even the homes that people live in across the world were very segregated from nature. And obviously, if you every, anyone knows, if you spend enough time in nature, you start realizing things that there's a process of death within in there all the time. So I think as a culture, we've definitely maybe segregated ourselves from the process of death. We don't see animals die anymore now. We, like I said, the process of death has took out our hands. Somebody when when someone dies at one time, we would have sort of rituals and burials around it. Now we don't have the the circumstances of that. And also as well, before you said about um, when the guy was. When the guy was on his back and you said he could you felt felt like he was he was sort of receiving some sort of information or sort of um or having a vision of something it's interesting because i wanted to ask you about the, the concept of the light because when when my granddad died which at the time he was, he was me, one of my best friends you know what i mean and um that process when i was with him on his sort of last with his last breath and like you said i was holding his hand i was holding his hands as well and there was a part in that process and obviously i've only experienced Deaf, deaf ones, and well, deaf on a physical. I've had deaf on an ego, but not on a physical. But I've only experienced deaf on a physical once. And there was a moment in there where he, we, he had the same essence. What you said, where he, his eyes were sort of glazed over, and there was a. It's what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to obviously describe the undescribable, but there's there's sort of a lightness or a or a or like a sort of a light that sort of resonates from that person in the last moment of when they take the last breath mm -hmm. it's sort of like the you feel like the soul or something or the or the energy form sort of transferring have you do you do you, do you sort of get that the, do you want when i say the concept of like the sort yeah. of the light do you, do you ever experienced that yeah it's um it's a very tangible thing and i think that's why i mean when i tell this my stories about what i like what i just shared mm. with you a lot of people go that is so creepy mm. and freaky and um, it's actually beautiful, but, but it's actually not like it, it, there was a real sense of peace, very high vibrational. Like death feels very present. Mm. It is so hyper real and so almost euphoric in a way. And to be in the presence of that energy is sacred, and it's so. 
profound. It's so profound and life-changing uh, to, to witness that. What happens, I think, um, well, I mean, there's a biological death, obviously, but it's just so shrouded in mystery. What are they, are they seeing something? Are they experiencing something um, we can't see? And there's a lot of deathbed phenomenon that happens around uh, death and dying that is recorded quite a bit, actually, but it's not really talked about and certainly not, um, you know, docu documented near enough. Mm. But there's a really great book called The Art of Dying by Peter Fenwick and Peter and Elizabeth Fenwick. They're a couple. And it's case studies on deathbed phenomenon of what people who are, um, who are clo very close to death experience. And there's, you know, visions, deathbed visions, seeing um, mist or vapor in the room, seeing light within the room, um, uh, dreams of um, deceased ancestors coming to visit, and then the, the dying person dies, you know, a day later. Uh, there's kind of a commonality on the wards of most hospital hospices that if someone has a visitation from a deceased loved one, then they're probably going to die fairly soon. And this is just, you know, a, uh, a word of mouth thing between mm -hmm. medical staff. Um, but this book is great because it has a lot of documented cases. Um, so it's very understudied, but it's, it's, a, it's almost like it's a human reality. <laughs> this, this stuff goes on. I saw an amazing image from my, um, my teacher when I was training to become a death doula. And as we were doing the course, a very good friend of hers died and he had, they had the, 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 the privilege to hold space for him uh, as he was dying at home, which was a really um, intimate and comfortable way to pass. And when he, um, you know, they did rituals and they, they um, made it a very beautiful uh, death for him. And at the moment of death, um, you know, for several hours, um, they, they let him be and let him rest. Mm -hmm. But she took an image, she took a photo of him, of his corpse laying in his bed. Not just one, like 25, just to show that look what's up in this photo. And in the photo, you can clearly see like a bluish mist like an aura. all around his body. And and she took several pictures like she it was so interesting because she took so many pictures just to sort of show that it's not um, it wasn't just that one picture with a with a strange like funny light mm -hmm. glare and then she took pictures of other people in the room you know separate and it was like the, the mist was clearly just around him mm -hmm. and it was very <laughs> specifically around him so that, you know there are things that can be seen um is it a, tr a trick of the camera? I don't know. Is it, you know, these things are part of the mystery. That's the thing. I mean, obviously, definitely people are going to say it could be the trick of the camera. And I'm not saying that all of them, all of them aren't. But the, the thing that for me that can't be denied is when you are in that moment with someone. Yeah. Um, because you can, just like anything, you know, when you have psychedelics, that moment of you feeling this sort of this different state of being, it can't be denied to the self. And it's the same thing when you're in a, it, it, I think death is very much like a psychedelic experience where you you're with that person and obviously it's a stripping of the body to mm -hmm. to in my opinion to it is a, to go to do something else I don't know what that other other is but there is a it's a clear um for me there's a clear energy transference and, I, and for, for on a personal level what I felt was just to give a per, bit of a personal story is that like I said I was con very much connected to my to my granddad I mean, there's a lot of synchronicities as well. We had the same birthday and things like that. There's a lot going on behind it as well. Um, but just in that circumstance, there was a, there was definitely there was definitely something there was definitely something that that I felt within that, that I can't explain in words. That was like a it wasn't a bad feeling. It was like a like a good feeling. It's, I don't know. It's hard to explain. Yeah, there's there's deep connection um, when it comes to supporting those. Uh, it's it's an honor and a privilege to be with someone as they pass that way. Um, and I, I agree with you when you say that death is very much like a psychedelic experience. Mm -hmm. In many ways, it is. I mean, apart from like the fact that people who are actively dying mm -hmm. in the three days of active dying, they can experience hallucinations and a lot of people say oh you know it's the medication it's the morphine 
You know, mm. there's a lot of talk about, of course, these things can come into play, yeah, but there are people who consciously die that are not um, drugged up uh, and, and they have visions or they have kind of psychedelic experiences. Um, it's the same at birth. A, a lot of women I know who have had children said that birth, the process of birth and the labor and the whole uh, journey is very psychedelic, mm. like you're tripping. Um, there's theories about DMT being released at birth and also at yeah. death. Uh, psychedelics can teach us a lot about death and dying, mostly because it's a boundary dissolving experience. Uh, boundary dissolving experience um, threaten our ego. Boundary dissolving experience can be terrifying because we lose our sense of self we lose our sense of ego and we very much uh, experience an ego death. The process of dying is very much like this. And the, the people that I've guided end of life, this is the hardest thing that they navigate, the death of ego. Mm. Sure, there's the biological death that's a real painful, it can be uncomfortable, but it's that ego death, that loss of self that people really struggle with. So I think, you know, journeying through your life if you're able to consciously work with your ego um, in a way where you understand that it's just an aspect of you and you're not really clinging to it you're not really 100 percent you know you're working with your ego but you're not being completely ruled by it it will be a lot easier for you end of life mm. to surrender to let go to know your story was just a story and that you're, you're able to um, transist in some kind of way. Um, the psychedelic experience can help a lot with people who struggle with fear of death and dying because it's almost like um, it's training you in a way or it, it opens up that realm a little bit and then you kind of get it. Um, I know that there's a lot of trials that, that have been done, I think particularly with psilocybin where it can be used to, to, to help you know, ease anxiety for those who are dying. I can certainly see how that would work. For me, even though I've had um, formal training with death doula work and working with the dying, my biggest teacher would have to be ayahuasca. Mm. So even I've gone the certificate, you know, done through all the training, my journeys with plant medicine have really showed me on an energetic level and almost in a bigger picture level. So you can know all the theory, you can know all the, you know, check one, check this box, check that box. These yeah. are the right things, the right protocol. <laughs> but there's something about working with plant medicine, specifically ayahuasca, that she, you, you, you look death in the face. You're able to see, you know, you just know death. You are just energetically pulled into the territory. And then you emerge from a journey like that and you go, damn, that was my biggest teacher. Those were my biggest lessons with death and dying was um, working with the, with that. Yeah, definitely. And there's a few things I want to say. I, I might, I might forget them. Like they're seeing so many, honestly, there's so many different ways I could take this, but I wanted to touch on the sense of, um, of when you mentioned DMT within the body, because I had um, Rick Strassman on the podcast a while ago, and he's obviously one of the leading researchers in um, DMT in psych with psychedelics. And he obviously discovered that there is um, DMT within the, the pineal glands of rats. So he's obviously suggesting that the theory that he's suggesting is that if it's in the DMT, if, if DMT is also um, endogenated within animals, it also makes a case that it's endogenated within us. And it's really interesting that obviously we know if you take psychedelics, ayahuasca has a form of DMT. Many different psychedelics have, there's many different forms of DMT anyway. And that process, obviously, like you said, it's a, it's a stripping away of the ego, stripping away of the self, um, basically death and rebirth at the same time. And this, I definitely think there's some sort of, um, they definitely, I've, I've, I know this is out there and there's not enough evidence on it, but there's definitely something I've thought in my head of maybe that DMT is, is sort of a, because we can't get away that there is definitely within our physical bodies there is spiritual dimensions but there's also physical dimensions at the same time that are, that are sort of cooperating and working together and who knows if like dmt is some sort of um like like uh, rick strassman says a spirit molecule that um, releases something from the body it's, it's definitely definitely plausible 
but when you were saying before as well and this was another thing you said i actually wrote this quote down before the podcast so it's interesting how you what you were speaking about the ego i'm not sure if you found this quote but by leonardo da vinci he says i thought i was learning how to live but i was actually learning how to die and it's funny because everything that i've done when you were saying there about the transition of the ego, if you, if we sort of, the, how psychedelic shows you this process of letting go of the ego, how if people maybe could experience that before death, that process in death might be a bit easier. It's interesting because all through my life, when I've been um, experiencing psychedelics, or even when I've had certain different different extraordinary experiences in my waking life, it seems like it. When I've really thought about it, it seems like that's what it's actually doing. It's it's preparing us. Like the whole this whole physical is really preparing you for that, for, for death. And ancient cultures believe that the Egyptians believe that. And yeah, I like mean that. it's very interesting because um, I was just at the Saatchi Museum this morning and I saw King uh, Tutankhamun's uh, tomb artifacts, which was really fascinating. And it was fascinating to to walk through the exhibition and really you know, take in the whole experience of all the practices that they engaged in to prepare the person to, you know, journey into the afterlife. And they really took it seriously. And they really took the battle on the other side seriously um, with all the supernatural beings that um, one needs to, to combat and battle, all the, all the, you know, the scary, the dark material. And I saw it as almost like, an interesting metaphor for what you experience in the psychedelic experience or possibly the death experience mm. where you are um, combating a lot of your your shit really yeah, inner demons. your inner demons your your ego um your past um all the, all the thing the skeletons in the closet you name it and I know at end of life, because I've guided people at end of life, that this all comes up. So no matter what you squish down underneath you uh, from your childhood or from your relationship problems or the things that you just didn't want to look at, all they come up out end of life. They do. There's no way around it. All this, all the post-traumatic stress, you name it. I've seen it. People, that's when the demons, the the demons start coming up, and so when I saw the um, the exhibition and you know the various demons that, and it's amazing they they you know they've made um, shields for um, Tutankhamun, they've mm -hmm. they've made weapons for him to navigate, but I just saw them as symbols, the symbols in order to battle the material that comes up when you're at, when you're dying. Um, this is what I've noticed the most in guiding people. It's all the the inner demons that come up, and there's countless examples and case studies. Even people who, who you know went to war and they've long forgotten memories. All of a sudden, in their last weeks of their lives, they're experiencing all the trauma of war again. So I take this as a huge lesson, and I get so much when I guide people end of life because it makes me want. It's just like I want to live. I want to live really present, really now, and I want to transcend and heal from all my trauma as I'm going through life. I don't want to wait until the very end to my deathbed and and then navigate all the dark material at the end of my life. I, you know, it's part of the journey to to release, release the emotional baggage, heal the stuff that comes up as you go along. Forgive the people you needed to forgive. Make amends. Um, you know, extend the olive branch to your enemy. This all comes up at end of life. People have regrets. You know, you hear them, oh, I should have been like this. I should have been more like that. I should have said sorry. I should have said I love you. This is the stuff that mm -hmm. happens. So I see lo a lot of the symbology, like, uh, you know, you see it in ancient Egypt with um, all the beings that you navigate in the underworld. You see it in Tibetan beliefs uh, with the bardo and the various um, uh, interactions with beings there. For me, it feels like... Um, there's, importance, there's importance to it. Yeah, they're, they're almost like symbolic metaphors mm -hmm. for your ego death and for viewing the dark material that comes up. Um, that's just my personal opinion. Well, it's funny because, <laughs> no, I, I like it. It's really good stuff. It's, I mean, the Egyptians believed, I read it once about how the Egyptians believed that the process of the ego in the waking life it actually affects like the process of death because i think they called it um i think the word, the word that they used was becoming light so on a physical level 
on sorry on a on a psychological level like you said there's things that build up within our mind mm-hmm. and i think we do there is a process in this life that's definitely you have to go through a process of like sort of clearing them out yeah. and maybe maybe there is an importance of, of clearing out the psychological things in your mind that you things that you need to work on like you said things that you need how you what things that you should have done better in your life that does affect the transition from this to something else there, I mean, there's there's evidence all throughout all cultures talking about that. There's, oh, sure. there's evidence in even through. I mean, you just take a psychedelic trip and you'll you'll feel that essence yourself. That there's an importance to you uncovering your shit. Yeah, it's a great preparation. It's that's the territory you go into. That's the territory. I mean, I've like um, when I've been death doulaying, doulaying, um, <laughs> and I'm helping people like. Uh, you know, people have halluc- the hallucinations come. It's very real for people. Mm-hmm. It's 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 really real, and if you've um, had you know your training reels wheels with like a psychedelic experience, and even meditation, just keeping uh, a mind of equanimity, and you're able to just observe a situation, or even doing dream work, because with dream work, when you're navigating lucid dreaming and nightmare content, you're able to know that you know you're observing something that is a um, a symbolic projection of of the dark material or the fears or the trauma if you're able to do that through life through dream work through psychedelic experiences through meditation when it comes to end of life you you're kind you you get it you get yeah. you understand when the hallucinations come in when you start seeing someone coming into the room on your deathbed you're not you're not fearful you're you're ready you're ready and you kind you're yeah, okay yeah definitely. you're okay with it um, i was gonna ask you as well i mean you slightly touched on it there but just to go a little bit deeper about the importance of working with dreams so i know you can work with um lucid dreaming and things like that or you can work with your with your um with out-of-body experience and things like that but in terms of dreams have you got any sort of sort of um maybe any tips for working with death in our physical life yeah so working with death there's a variety of things um, that you can do uh, through your waking life, th- through your living life. Um, I like to meditate on death every day and not in a morbid way, like fearful or suicidal, that kind of thing, but just meditate on the reality of death. A really great way of doing this is you, you mentioned nature and nature is a great teacher. And we've learned so much from nature just through observation. I mean, that's how the ancient Egyptians were able to really build an incredible civilization. They were amazing at observation. They were able to observe nature and mimic a lot of uh, the tech, you know, the technology, uh, like a biomimicry. And they learned a lot. So, and they learned a lot from the stars and astronomy. Um, So spending time in nature and just observing nature, how the cycles of it, um, trees falling off the tree, you know, leaves falling off the trees and, you know, simple things, life, death, life cycles within nature is a really great way of doing it. Also just, uh, having a meditation practice where you just sit in silence and you meditate on your own death. Um, Could you if- describe the process. Cause I, I've, I mean, that's a really powerful one. Cause I've done that myself quite a lot where I've meditated on death. I know it's, this is going to be different for everyone, but just to give maybe somebody the the sort of the contextual understand of what's the sort of the thought process when you're when you're sort of just meditating and thinking about death do you have any sort of what what's how do you describe the journey as you go through in your mind i know i'm not saying that you you're walking down the street and you're going to get knocked over by a car i wouldn't be i wouldn't be doing that but just the process of of letting go of the self within your mind how what's what sort of things are you thinking of a really great way of starting with that i think maybe not thinking of Um, and just before we start, just to say, just because you think of death doesn't mean that it's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, it, it will eventually happen, but uh, I'd like to, to dismiss all superstition when mm-hmm. it comes to it, because I know a lot of people have a lot of superstition. Yeah. Even just hearing the word death means that it's going to, an anvil is going to come out of the sky and kill them. You know, it's going to happen yeah. in a superstitious way. So meditating on death is not going to bring about your own uh, death immediately. Uh, so a really good way of going about it that I find is very helpful is just to sit in meditation and just imagine you've just been given the news that you have one week to live. So this is really helpful because this actually gives you a chance to reflect. Some people don't have that. They, you know, they, they die suddenly. 
Um, and it's actually kind of lucky to be able to have a bit mm. of a timeline to prepare things and to really get your head around it. So as a death meditation, just to sit and in, in quiet and just imagine you've been told you have one week to live and really reflect and meditate on how that feels. And you might go through a whole plethora of emotions. You might feel sick to your stomach. You might feel anxious. You name it. You're angry, rage, um, apathy. It, you might go through a whole range of feelings and emotions when it comes to this, mm -hmm. this uh, message. And just sit with the emotions and allow them to come up. Don't fight them. Just observe them and acknowledge them. And then just sit in your own presence. And I'd say do it for like a half an hour. I mean, I've done it for an hour. And an hour at a time is pretty powerful. And then at the end of it, just write down everything that is coming to your mind. Write yourself a letter. Write yourself a letter of of um, tell yourself something from what you've gained and what you've gleaned from that meditation. Some people, what, because what comes up to mind is like, oh, I've always been a really bad relationship with my dad. I haven't talked to him in five years. And then all of a sudden, knowing that you have one week to live, you think I need to get in touch with my dad and make peace. So then why aren't we doing that anyway? Why do we have to wait until the news that we're going to die that we finally get our house in order? Yeah, we could be doing this all uh, consistently. So I think when you meditate on your own death every day, it makes you live better. Um, it also releases all of that, all, all of the skeletons that you you should be releasing before the, the final days. But it does make you live better. You walk around and you want to engage with the world more everything is more present and more alive and more amazing you realize just how incredible it is just to be alive yeah, every single time i've meditated on my death it's it does make you realize that life is very finite and um i think this, there is so much wisdom in in understanding our own sort of immortality there's there's a gift to that i think there's also you can think bigger as well because i like to think bigger but even think bigger in terms of that there's an importance why that has that is a vital aspect in this world that we're in now that you are one day going to die i think there isn't a there's a sort of a a drive within the self that makes you appreciate this thing that we're in and not take it for not take it for granted yeah i think that's what happens a lot of people take things for granted and you and, and when you help people end of life this is something that comes up a lot there's a lot of regret and why didn't i and i should have why didn't i pay more attention to this person or that or even just simple things like nature like birds and plants and flowers and engaging when just observing things mm. um you hear it a lot especially with old older people uh who are who are dying they're like you know simple things like looking at birds is mm. just so incredible now <laughs> you know you, you hear about that like old people and birds what is up with that old people feeding birds all the time you'll get you'll get it when you get there yeah. because you realize like these are amazing creatures why have i always just like pass by them and don't give any pay any attention because what happens is you're as you're getting end, to the end of your life your awareness gets pulled more into the present moment the past comes really up front for you to look at mm -hmm. it's kind of phenomenal um but we should, you know, there's ways in which you can do this every day. Mm -hmm. So then at the end of life, you're not just going like, wow, this is shocking to me. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting you describe that because psychedelics does that. I'm sure people who have listened to this podcast have tried psychedelics um, or even just through deep states of meditation where you go into them deep states of mind. There is definitely moments where you said it's the sort of the, the it's like a sort of like a matrix effect of your mind where everything seems much more rich and much more important and sort of like more everything's more zoomed in that's the way i would describe yeah. it and maybe that's what maybe that's what death death is hyper is real yeah hyper real and the dmt experience is like that it's more real than real it's like it's more, <laughs> the reality of that experience mm -hmm. is just this is dull and fuzzy in comparison how was sorry i was gonna say i was gonna ask you a question how is I would love to know how death has actually sort of shaped your life. Um, has it shaped my life? Like with working with death, sorry? Oh, working how with death? How has it changed your understanding of death? Um, how it changed my understanding of it? Yeah. In, 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 or your perspective, the way you see it in your mind now? How do I see death? The, 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 the act of death? I just, I, I'm not a religious person. I don't um, follow any religion. Um, I'm a consciousness explorer. 
I can obviously cannot prove that our consciousness carries on after mm. we uh, after this biological body dies. But I am an explorer, so I like to feel that that's within a possibility mm -hmm. that there could be a possibility that consciousness can carry on in some kind of way of course my consciousness if it did carry on in some kind of way it wouldn't be tree mm -hmm. it wouldn't be it would you know it, it could just be a point of awareness but it's not having this experience called tree um it's shaped the way i live definitely working with death, it's really made me feel a lot more fearless. I feel like I don't have a lot of fear in my life. Um, I I don't fear talking to strangers. I'm very open. <laughs> I feel like I can talk to anyone yeah. and I can relate and connect to anyone no matter what the background, culture, age, you name it. I'm uh, On some kind of level, I'm able to connect with every heart out there that's because we're all going to experience death. It's the great common denominator between us all. This is something that we're all going to experience. I think it really connects you with other people in such a deep and profound way. It's really sad that we live in a, in a world that is divided, um, racist, sexist and people have their walls and their boundaries and their borders and yet you know something like death can actually unite people in a very great way when you start working with death when you start and you don't have to be a death doula to do this you just reflect on the your own humanity yeah, and the humanity of others yeah We'll leave it there. What a podcast. So cool. Fist bump. Fist Yay. bump. Fist oh, bump. good. Yeah, let's do a fist bump. <laughs> really cool. Really cool conversation. Though, by the way, we'll leave it there. Really Thanks. cool. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Hope you enjoyed that one. I really loved sitting down with Tree and talking around the topic of death. I know death really is one of them topics that a lot of people don't want to engage in, but I do definitely feel it is something that we can definitely work with in a sort of um, a transformative way in our lives and and, it, and we all are going to die one day so we have to definitely face it at some point excuse me we're going to definitely have to face it at some point in our lives so why not sort of work with death now if you can guys find it in your heart check out the patreon page it's the best way to support the podcast also have a one-off donation option and if you're interested in some one-on-one -on -one coaching, please feel free to reach out to me. And also, guys, check out the Mind, Body and Spirit Academy, which you will gain access to if you do become a patron, or you can also access the Mind, Body, Spirit Academy through the Send podcast website directly. So check that out. It really is a cool place. Now, There's, I think there's about 60 people in that group now, and we're all getting together. And we're just basically diving deep down the rabbit hole and sharing different topics. So check that out anyway. And just to play this podcast conversation out as I always do, as we talked around the conversation of death today, this one really is a powerful song. It's actually a Viking funeral song. If you're, I'm not sure if you guys out there are familiar with the Vikings, but the Vikings originated from a place um, actually not far from where I'm based, um, a place called Norway. Uh, just across the sea from where I am. So this one really is a powerful song. It's a Viking funeral song. It's actually called, I think it's pronounced Hell Vegan. I'm sure you people out there who are from Norway or Iceland will sort of um, let me know if I'm, I pronounced that right. But it's called Hell Vegan and it's, um, it's a Viking funeral song. And I promise you guys, if you have not listened to this song, this will give you goosebumps. It really is one of the most powerful songs that I've ever heard in my life. And I think it's right right fitting for this podcast topic to play this song now anyway. It's a beautiful song regardless anyway, but it's a Viking funeral song. So enjoy this song and I will catch you next week. We have another powerful podcast as always. Keep seeking guys wherever you are in the world. I love you all. And as always, peace out.
jalvritsāmā, enords tirdēr aldrei, heimers ir gūdan ietu. Deir fēdēja frendur, deir šjalvritsāmā, Ik weet